Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Long Shot Podcast, brought to you by 342 Productions. I'm your host, as always, Duncan Robinson, and I'm here with my good friend. Now we are back virtually, but nonetheless, here with my good friend, Davis Reed. What is going on? We are back. Dunk, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling better than you, so I'm just going to get out in front of this. This is Davis's flu game. So obviously, you know, Mike had his flu game. Uh, other flu games have been documented. This is Davis's flu game or flu episode. Uh, either one kind of goes, but uh, I mean, I'll let you kind of tell it. But you know, you've had a whirlwind of a month, and you kind of woke up feeling under the weather. So why don't you, uh, you know, shine some light on that for the people? First of all, I'll say flu game is fair. One episode a week. It's kind of like we're the, in the in the NFL. You know, we get one week to prepare. Uh, and so there was no way we were going to miss this one. I'm, I'm battling a little bit. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. It's tough to complain because this month has been pretty fun, but it has been my own bachelor party, then my wedding, then a honeymoon, then a friend's bachelor party, uh, mixed right in between those honeymoon and, and second bachelor party was the Vegas trip that, you know, we uh, is well documented, which now. was a business trip, mind you, not a, Correct. Not, a, not a trip for pleasure. That was a business trip. It's just been a lot of travel, bouncing all around. But hey, it's been a blast. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm happy to report it's not COVID that I'm dealing with. I got a COVID test this morning, came back negative. So we're fine. I'm just battling a little bit. I think it's you know all that catching up to me, but I'm going to be just fine. Don't you worry. That's an important distinction that it's not COVID. Uh, that was one of the, the first things that I ask. And you know, being the, the mature and also fully vaccinated adult that you are, you wanted to go and, and just really make sure. Uh, you mentioned it's a lot of traveling. You know what? Somebody's got to do it, Dave. And uh, nobody's, nobody's better fit for it than you. And I'd also like to say that the traveling has been well worth it because the Long Shot Pod is now officially on the map, some hey, might yeah. say. We have, uh, we have begun to grace our presence on the national media scale. Uh, we've been you know, shouted out by some, some different media outlets. I don't know, Sports Center ever heard of it? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and, and some other ones. But uh, all of it was because of the sacrifice that you made on a last-minute trip to Vegas. So thank you for your sacrifice. It's a sacrifice we made. We're in this thing together. In fact, because it's a flu game, I'm leaning on you a little bit this week. Uh, I'm trying to rest this this voice of mine. But no, you know what? We are we are on the rise a little bit. It's been a good week for the Long Shot Pod. Just past 50,000 on YouTube, which is a pretty exciting mm. milestone for us. And we're starting to dabble with some other forms of content, which has been pretty fun. The uh, the parking lot video, if you will, is what SportsCenter picked up today, actually. Uh, so good things for the Long Shot Pod. Very thankful for the... We still don't have a name for our community. The Long the Long Shotters has been thrown out. Now, I'd also, this is a shout out to the Long Shotters, those are part of the community. So obviously, you've seen an uptick in our content, and that's largely because Davis and I have been able to be in person. I think that the interviews have been different in person, better in person. You know, there's more kind of, uh, you know, gift of, of gab, if you will. There's a little bit more banter. It's It just has a totally different feel to it. So this is where I'm calling on the long shotters to put pressure on Davis. Please get in his direct <laughs> messages on Instagram and encourage him and his lovely wife to move to Miami. I think it's the only solution. <laughs> it, like if you want, if you want the podcast to really take another step, it's just the only logical solution. So please do me a favor if you're out there listening, apply some pressure. I would, I would ask you guys to also consider putting some pressure on Duncan that he can just start flying me around the country uh, to meet up to do stuff in person. A hundred percent. It's in. Okay. I mean, that's an easy expense right there. It's a business expense. Right. This thing's yeah, we a, we're at the point where this thing's almost a well-oiled machine. Um, but no, it's it, it honestly has been a ton of fun to be in person and do some different things. We had been like kicking around some different content idea, ideas for a while. So we got some some pretty good stuff, you know, in the back pocket here. Uh, it's just a matter of like how and when we're going to be able to kind of break it out. But I got to give you and I got to give Jason a ton of credit for the most recent video uh, from an execution, but also just an idea standpoint. I thought you guys killed it and really brought it with that one. Massive shout out to Jason. He was the brains behind all that. You and I went out and executed, uh, but he was the one who was drawing up the play. So shout out to him. Yeah, I think the other thing here is you're in the off season, so you have a little bit more time to do some of this stuff. Uh, you know, you you guys ramp up here in what, a month? 
month and a, a half. Month. Yeah, month about six weeks. Uh, it's it's certainly on the horizon. And I also, you know, I want to get out in front of this. Obviously, we're doing some different stuff with the pod, and it's been fun. I don't want any sort of commentary around. Oh, you know, Duncan's distracted or doing this or that. Uh, I'm very much locked in, and I very much intend on continuing to be very much locked in. So please, just let's just stay away from that because it's just, it's just not really, it's not really holding any weight. It's almost not even worth acknowledging, Dunk. I'm just going to let you know you don't you you aren't on our social media really. You're not reading through the com- but that stuff is going to be prevalent regardless. Uh, so I think you're just going to have to block that those comments out. Just power through. No, it, it, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the Vegas trip was fun. Basically, so we knocked out a couple interviews and then we were just kind of sitting around. We were kind of about to go to dinner and Jason and, and Davis had had thrown out this idea of it's kind of a ripoff of what, like a, a Jimmy Kimmel kind of thing. Yes. I know they had done different light, late night TV shows had done you know similar stuff with with people before. And uh, mind you, we're, we don't have the same resources as, as some of those shows do. So it was kind of pieced together. But I have to say, the execution was pretty solid. And there were some hidden gems in terms of like outtakes and kind of bloopers, like some behind-the-scenes stuff that maybe we could you know start to tease out as well. Oh, it was a blast. I Credit to you, honestly, because if you guys watch the video, I am my one job is to try to get people to shit on you. And so I would just like to apologize that a lot of our content that really plays well is the stuff that we just shit on you. Uh, so you were game for it. You're squatted behind a pickup truck just listening to fans talk shit about you. And so, you know, you were a sport. Well, I think I, I was more than game for it. I, I think I was actually pushing the envelope of it. I think yeah, 100%. On, so like the first three or four interviews, you're just kind of like floating it out there. So what do you think of, you know, Duncan Robinson's new contract? And people are like, you know, given just kind of like running the mill answers, like, oh, you know, it's, I think it's a pretty good deal. You know, it's about market value, whatever. And I just, eventually I go to you, Davis, just like tee it up for him. Just like walk just, them into it. Yeah. Just walk them right into it. So like it's, it basically, it makes them feel like the only way that they can answer this is that it's an extreme overpay and Duncan sucks. And it, because I knew that that's what was going to, play the best um and by the end of it we you're just throwing out all sorts of locker room cancer you know yeah. traffic cone like all sorts of stuff i've been uh, hearing things and and i'm happy and i'm happy that you did because it, it i was right it played well no it was fun it was a ton of fun and I, but again i mean you know no one's shitting on me so it's easy for me to do it i'm just throwing stuff at the wall at these people seeing what sticks locker room cancer i've heard that a lot being around you more this year in circles, uh, right? In NBA circles, yeah. That's yeah, like yeah, yeah. that's like my favorite thing. Gone is like when people, like reporters, give like super vague feedback. Like I'm hearing in circles or so and so in NBA talks. It's like you could literally say that about anything, and then just throw it out there because there's zero accountability to it, and you can just say whatever you want. Yeah, no, I, I mean you're not a dog I mean, guy. You you don't like tacos. <laughs> um, you don't. You can't add. You have reading level of a fourth grader. It's just all this stuff. I'm just hearing it in NBA circles. Exactly. I mean, that's basically, uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we're kind of now, now like lost in the weeds here. Uh, let's transition. Do we, do we have anything else we want to talk about before we get to the Reddit question of the week? I don't know, man. My brain's operating at a 10% capacity. Let's just go to the Reddit question. <laughs> don't give in to the symptoms, Dave. Flu game, no, it's, Dave. It's flu my flu episode, game. Dave. Yeah. We'll just call a timeout. I'll get some Gatorade towel over my head. I'll be good to go. Jason, this is your cue in the YouTube video to superimpose Davis's face over Jordan's limp body <laughs> leaning onto his teammates. This is your You're cue my Scotty. to do that. Yeah. I'm your Scotty. You're carrying uh, me. By the way, uh, that actually brings you to another point that I've noticed that you've been getting a ton of love lately. So I can actually say that I am your Scotty. Like you're oh really God. pushing the envelope on this. And you know, when I first decided to do a podcast, it kind of became a no brainer that you were the person I wanted to do it with. And I don't want to do this. I, I have to say it's been incredibly gratifying to see the long shot community and the basketball community start to understand your greatness because I've oh known it for a God. while. I've known it for a while and it's just beautiful to see it, you know, come to fruition on the big stage. Uh, that's all I got for you. I'm not going to pump your tires too much. Let's get to the Reddit question of the week. What do we got? I, I appreciate you. Uh, Reddit question of the week comes from KG is top 15 all time. 
That's the username. Maybe a hot take, definitely a hot take, but good for you. You're entitled to your opinion. They ask, who do you think is the smartest player in the NBA? It's a good question. There's a lot of different directions you can take it. I think LeBron is automatically up there. Just for the sake of this, I'm going to throw LeBron out because LeBron is the answer to a lot of questions as it regards to who is the smartest, best, bat, whatever. I'm going to take LeBron out. Yeah, kick him out. I'm going to kind of give you a dark horse answer, and I narrowed it down to three in my mind. I have Chris Paul, I have Rajon Rondo, and I have Kyle Lowry. Am I doing a little bit of home cooking by throwing Kyle <laughs> in there? Maybe. Is I don't the know if those are those aren't dark horse options either. Like I think those would be the other guys that would come to mind for a lot of basketball fans. I mean, just out of the the sheer fact that LeBron's not in the mix makes it. Fair. I mean, I think like LeBron would be the easy choice. Rondo would honestly probably be too. Rondo Rondo is incredible. I I will say when we played Rondo in the finals uh, two years ago, he knew everything that we were doing and it basically became I mean he was he was coming off the bench he was playing roughly 20 maybe a little you know 20 25 minutes a game so it's not like he was in there the whole game but we had to strategically scheme for Rondo's minutes and it became how do we win Rondo's minutes because he was such he he would just move the needle and he would tip the game and he would understand the importance of little stretches throughout an NBA game, particularly in the playoffs where you have to win those little skirmishes. And he would always just find a way. He would jump a passing lane. He would get a steal. He would take advantage of a two-for-one situation. He would exploit a matchup. He, he would just do little things here and there to manipulate those little sections of a game. Now, Chris and Kyle both do that. What they do a little bit differently than Rondo is they're also able to manipulate the whistle, and both of them are really good at it. Chris and Kyle actually do it kind of in similar ways, where Chris and Kyle are also different, is that Kyle is what we call like unbelievable at next play speed. You'll see it throughout the course of, of his career. As soon as there's a dead ball, he's running to the ref, trying to get the ball, trying to pitch it up. And he's trying to take advantage of those kind of like relief ba baskets that happen throughout the course of a game. Obviously, in a regular season game, they happen more frequently because there's a little bit less sense of urgency. In a playoff game, if you can get six, eight, ten relief points throughout a game, it is huge it makes such a difference in the game because points are so hard to come by so Kyle is really good at that Chris is just incredible at understanding when it's a bonus situation and manipulating a whistle in the variety of ways that he does it sweep throughs rip throughs stopping behind screens having his defender run into it he's so creative in those settings and as a result Oftentimes in games, once again, particularly in playoff games, if you get to the free throw line, you control the pace of the game, you're getting free points, you're stopping the game, and you're putting other players, other teams in foul trouble, and you're getting to the bonus faster. So the, that's my reasoning. It's a pretty thorough answer, honestly. Great I'm answer. Not, not to pat myself on the back, but I thought it was a pretty good answer um, to a great question. So credit goes to uh, KG's top 15 all time. KG, uh, dude. KG. Oh, KG is top 15 all time. In fairness, the way you wrote that out, it's confusing. All right, sorry. <laughs> I thought that could have been KGIS. I'll Anyways, take the blame. Put that on me. Uh, that's my answer. It's a combination of those three, which might be a cop-out answer, but nonetheless, I think it's a good one. That was an incredible answer. Um, all veteran guys, you know, which makes sense. They've seen a lot in the league. They've been on different teams. They've been in a lot of different locker rooms. Do you have, are there young guys that come to mind that are maybe, you know, play above their age and IQ, if you will? I think Luke is an easy choice with that. I mean, his pace, when you talk about IQ and, and understanding uh, leverage and creating leverage and understanding how to beat a defender that might be athletically superior i mean his pace and strength and his ability to kind of like move in tight spaces at his size is incredible and he's also really good at getting to the free throw line um you know there, there's other examples i am interested to see like somebody like trey young does a really good job of kind of manipulating a whistle but i i am really interested to see how these new rules impact somebody like that obviously he's still going to be a really really hard player to guard 
But what made Trey so hard to guard is that, and not that I was ever tasked with guarding Trey. I don't want to get out in front of that. But what made him so hard to guard is that a lot of times, and I would talk to guys who would guard him, is that you just feel like you can't touch him. Because the moment you you try to get physical or they try to crawl into a ball screen, it's a sweep through foul. It's a stop behind bump and he's, you know, bumping back into you and he's drawing a foul that way. So I'm interested to see how like the the non-basketball moves, now they're letting those go, uh, how those kind of impact certain players' games. Have you guys, are those conversations that you guys have started I know you haven't reported for camp or anything yet, but how those rule changes are going to impact games? I mean, not re- like just with like some of the coaches. We haven't had like a uh, you know a Zoom meeting about it yet, Davis. Uh, <laughs> I think Who guys are, guys are are mostly just trying to you know get some uh, get some space and get some work in. But I mean, it'll definitely be talked about. Prior to the season, we always have a rules meeting with usually Monty McCutcheon, who's a former NBA uh, referee, great guy. Uh, horrendous suits, uh, but but certainly you know Whoa. brings it from an effort standpoint. I mean, I, I appreciate his effort and, and willingness to attempt to to dress really sharp. But uh, are we, sorry, well, hold on. Are we throwing some McCutcheon slander on this podcast? No, I, don't Ma- I love Monty. Monty's the best. Uh, he he truly is a, a fantastic liaison between referees and players, and uh, has obviously been a part of the league for so long, way longer than I have. He has way more respect and. Uh, you know, just clout, I guess you could say, than I do. That's for damn sure. So, Monty, that was not a shot at your attire. And if anything, it's that I'm envious, the fact that All you right. can pull it off. Um, Good save. Yeah, so anyways, he always comes in, and the it's like a full-blown presentation. It's like a 30-, 45-minute thing where they, hi- they like, show film. It's like a film study. Like, this might have been a foul last year. Show a clip. This will not be a foul this year. This wasn't a foul last year. This will now be a foul this year. Like they do a full breakdown, so there's very clear, uh, you know, communication between referees and players on what is to be expected of the rules and how they will be enforced. Which I think honestly helps. It 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 provides clarity because if there are rule changes as a player, you want to know because you don't want to get bent out of shape about something and start yelling over something that is a legitimate change to a rule. Yeah, that makes sense. What jersey is behind you? I see a signed. Is that a Pat Connaughton jersey? It is a signed Pat Connington jersey. Uh, Pat, who is a, a future guest on the podcast, uh, fantastic human being, and now also an NBA champion. Uh, after our series, gave me a, a nice jersey here. Uh, yeah, for maybe you uh, who are not watching on YouTube, he uh, yeah gave me a, a playoff jersey, wrote a nice little note. I'm going to keep that to myself because it's a little yeah, bit don't personal. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Pat and I will maybe get into this in a future episode, but Pat and I go back quite a ways, played for the uh, the same uh, AU program, the Real Sex Magic powerhouse out of, powerhouse. Uh, out of Boston. But uh, yeah, Pat is an, an NBA champion and... Uh, you know, if I wasn't going to win it, which obviously after we lost to them, I was out of contention. I was happy at least that a, a good friend of mine was able to uh, hoist a trophy. Fair enough. All right. I think we've belabored our Reddit question long enough. You want to yeah. move to a long shot I don't feature? Think, I don't think it's belabored. I think we just we just covered all the bases. I think we were thorough, if anything. Uh, like long that. shot feature is my guy Craig Reynolds, Division two college football player, undrafted in 2019. He bounced around to a few teams, I believe Washington, Atlanta, Jacksonville, but never quite saw any significant playing time. And last week, he got a tryout for the Lions. He signed a contract the day before their first preseason game, and he scored a touchdown the next day. He was literally introducing himself to coaches and teammates on the sidelines. That's a pretty cool story. Unreal. I uh, I looked up his his touchdown highlight when some, somebody sent this into us. So I looked up his touchdown. It's a pretty nice run. It's like a 24-yarder, dives at the pylon, extends across for the touchdown. Guy just got an opportunity, made the most of it. Those are the best, those like pylon collisions. Um, well, I, I guess as, from a fan perspective, I imagine as yeah, a right. player. I imagine as a player, it's probably significantly nicer to just waltz into the end zone untouched. Uh, but anyways, shout out to Craig. That's awesome. Uh, keep pushing, man. Uh, the impossible is is always possible. Uh, I just came up with that, but I might I might coin that the new long shot phrase. I don't know. Uh, if anyways, you, did you come up with that? I don't think so. I think that impossible is nothing. I think that's somebody's tagline. Uh, yeah, maybe Adidas. 
Uh, we have a great convo with Karan. Karan is an incredible human being, has an unbelievable story. We touch on it a little bit, but if you haven't actually like in depth looked into his story, please, please do. Uh, he has a great book out called Tough Juice in which he is the author of. And there's also like a, a, a short documentary uh, on his upbringing. I, I don't know if it's an E60 or, or what it is, um, but it's just a, a coverage and, and, and tells his upbringing uh, in, in Wisconsin and all the, the adversity that he had to go through to become a NBA champion, a multiple time all-star, and above that, an incredibly impactful uh, mentor and uh, and man. Yeah, it's it's an am- amazing conversation. It takes a little different tone than some of our other ones, a little more serious tone. We, it's an opportunity, honestly, for you and I, who come from such different backgrounds than him, to just sit and listen about you know some of the adversity that he went through, like you said. So yeah, one of my favorite ones. We also recorded this one at Summer League, so it was in person, which, like you said, is always better. Um, but yeah, I think you guys are going to love this one. Yeah, you said it. Definitely has a different tone to it, but a, a necessary conversation for sure. And uh, yeah, strongly encourage you all to to take to heart what he says because uh, I've I think he's made a profound difference on my life, not only as a basketball player, but uh, also from just the you know person to person standpoint. So I really hope you guys enjoy this. Here's Karan. Welcome back in to the Long Shot Podcast. Here with uh, NBA All Star, uh, NBA Champion, NBA Champion, former first round pick, Big East Player of the Year. Yeah, we can keep rattling them off. We can oh, run them. We can no, run them. What else we days. got? <laughs> uh, welcome, CB. Uh, now, obviously, a coach of mine and mentor of mine. Thank you for joining us out here in Las Vegas, man. I know you got plenty going on, so thank you. Yeah, hey, appreciate you, man. Thanks for just allowing me to be on this platform. I'm about to take you on a road with me with that introduction, too. <laughs> we, uh, we tag-teamed that one. I mean, it's easy when you got the accolades that you do. Um, but obviously, you know, drafted by the Heat uh, back in the day. Not that you're that old, but uh, I since... Am. I am. No, no, no. Come on, I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, since now rejoining the, the organization as a coach, talk a little bit about how you've seen the culture kind of change or stay the same from your early days playing to now pushing the culture as a part of the staff. Well, uh, that's a great question. And when I first started, um, myself being drafted, Rasul Butler, God rest his soul, uh, Eddie Jones was our vets, Alonzo Mourning. You had a young Udonis Haslam, young D. Wade as rookies coming in as well. But my rookie season, it was just like, what are we? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're we're hard working. Now you fast forward to where we at now, we're the hardest working, best conditioned. You know, the list goes on, yeah. but then no banners in competition with every sport, you know, predominantly, especially football, you know, in the state of Florida. So it was just like one of those things where we was just trying to navigate through that process and the expectations was always now be professional, be sharp, uh, have a championship uh, vision. And we didn't even know what that looked like, but we had you know, the godfather of the game leading us in that direction and teaching us in real time. So that was, it was just like, damn, I, I don't know what I should be doing, but I just know I'm going to be doing this shit hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, winning obviously validates all of that, right? Because Absolutely. now it's it's easier to say when you put on a heat uniform, all right, there have been champions that, that done what we're asking you to do right now. At that point, obviously Pat had the legacy that yep. he had prior to when he got there. But as a young player stepping into the league, and you're in Miami, an organization that doesn't have a lot of history. Mm. But Pat trying to basically put, put his fingerprints on the organization and have the organization be something bigger than what it was at the moment. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility for, you know, a kid just getting drafted, what, after your, your sophomore year? Yeah. Yeah. We literally broke ground, like, in downtown. We talk about the museums. We talk about all the buildings. We see everything. And I felt like the same way with the organization when you talk about the culture really starting like we broke ground on that shit yeah you know like just doing it and we was hopeful and we had a vision that pat had we just knew we had to follow his footprint like we knew we had to just follow like whatever he told us his direction his vision what he's seen um 
but like you said, with no banners, with no anything in the air, it was just like, damn, we got, we putting a lot of hope and faith in this process. But I never doubted it, not one bit. Yeah, you were obviously when you were at your best, one of the best players in the league. I'm always curious talking to to players that were really good players that go on to be coaches. How are you able to like? relay information to players given that i'm not saying it came easy to you but you had like this insane talent and ability and like for example someone like me like i can't go get a bucket like a, a young cb yeah right so you like get I, it though you get to it i mean i get to, I, no, so I, get to yeah, it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i find my you know i find my own lane uh but as a coach right because because this is really your first opportunity yeah. coaching and you're doing it at such a high level you have the wisdom of, of playing in this league and the built-in credibility of being the player that you were, but how do you relay all that you experienced and all that you learned playing to the players that you're now asked to, to mentor and lead? That's, a, that's another great question. I think that it really goes back to your why. Um, Coach Spo always talks about that. Yeah. And I think that from a mentorship standpoint, I've been doing that my entire life. So you recognize that the personalities that you deal with are different. Everybody don't come from the same walk of life from you. Uh, you know, it's just, it is what it is. So you just try to, it's, it's crazy how you have to keep yourself in it, in the process, but remove yourself out the process. Does that make any sense? So like, in order for me to help him, I have to be vulnerable in helping him and I have to find what's his why and what's get Duncan going like how do we get Duncan going how do we get him going off his right to the you know the pocket pass how do we get him airspace how do we free one of the best shooters in this game up and those are the conversations that I have and I think of little ways and little things just to say to him in real time in the post of the game where it just like registers like and I know you get frustrated sometimes but like he's with me he's like you know thank you appreciate it and that's how I register with our players it's a tough, it's a tough thing to juggle, but you know it takes a lot of thought and a lot of you know humbleness to get to that space. And that comes with what? That comes with experience, because you've been. I mean, you saw so many different locker rooms, so many different teams in your time in the league. That's something you just accrue over those years to then share. I think it's also the way that I would have want to be coached. You know, like I think about myself. Like you remove yourself out of it, but then you actually put yourself in it. It's like if I had clarity with a mentor or someone that's giving me direction, that would be helpful. Like, don't treat me like you treat him or that guy, that guy, like treat me like you treat me. And I think that connection is extremely important. Was there a particular uh, team or a year that when you look back on really helped you grow as a player, person, whether it be a particular coach or, or a teammate, or maybe just an experience of, of being humbled or, or something along those lines. So I'm going I'm to give you a great example. Um, like you said, playing at a high level, um, being in Washington, best years of my career uh, individually. But when I knew that at some point I wanted to be a coach and I wanted to be on the sideline teaching the game was when I got hurt in 2011. This is our championship run. Second lean score. On the Dallas Mavericks team, I go down, patella rupture. Never thought I'd play the game of basketball again. So, like, immediately you think, how do you have an impact on winning without being on the fucking court? And it's just like, all right, how can I pour life and energy into all my brothers right here and stay committed to the process, even though I went down wounded? And that's when I found out, like, I have a gift of making people better. I can move the needle. Uh, subtle needle, like this, this subtly, but I can still move the process and getting them to where they need to go. And I, I recognized that and realized that in 2011. Yeah, I mean, you have a, a presence about you just on the day to day. Like, there's just no bad days with, with CB. Like, there, there never is. And I think it's, I, I don't want to put anything on you, but I imagine it's partly shaped by the perspective that you've gained mm -hmm. throughout your entire life. And uh, I mean, there's there's some great, you know, shorts and documentaries on your story growing up. Uh, but to think about where you came from in Wisconsin to ascending to the top of the NBA, being an NBA champion, dominating the NBA for, for long stretches for years. Was that growing up like obviously everyone has a dream. Every kid growing up playing basketball has a dream and you were one of the top players in the state. Uh, but at that point, like, did you 
at all envision this for yourself? Nah, I I wanted to be alive. You know, I'm 41 years old now, but my main mission and purpose was just to survive. Like I had a child at the age of 14. I was in the streets heavy. I would, you name it, I was doing it. You know, I've been shot at. I've been shot. I shot at people. I did the whole shit. So it was like my survival ways were just like it could have went either way. And when I got in, like in the relationship with the game of basketball, it just took me places that I never dreamed of. It took me around the world. It exposed me to things that I never thought I would see, you know, and to people. You know, so like that limit – that that ceiling that you put on yourself, it like just really just opened up and I started being exposed to so many other things. And it really just, you know, it saved my life one and it changed my life forever. When did that relationship start with basketball? For, you know, seriously? You know what? I was in Wales, a juvenile correctional facility. And I was doing two years. And I started playing basketball for fucking canteen. And once I started playing the game, I just fell in love with it because it took me away from, like, the ignorant discussions that was happening amongst some of the inmates that didn't want to just, like, be a better version of themselves or try to be in these programs to get rehabilitated to go back out and be functional in society. So I just started playing the game all the time. And, you know, I started using my imagination on the court. And when I got out, I linked up with a traveling team and shit, kind of the rest was history. You know, I never looked back. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to give this shit a try and see what happened. Now, I know the streets will always be there. There's always different players in the game in the streets. But let me try this, you know, this straight and narrow thing for quite some time and see what happened. It worked out pretty well. It worked for out you. pretty damn well. It's, it's crazy because adversity is obviously a relative term. So, <clears throat> for example, in my life, I always try to use the term basketball <laughs> adversity, right? You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, I've, I've seen basketball adversity, but like the type of stuff that you're talking about, I've never had to, That that's real, real adversity. Mm. Um, and there's levels to adversity, like For there's sure. levels to, to everything. Um, at what point was it like, all right, so you link on with this this traveling team. I know you went on to play at MCI, which is like a legendary program in, in Maine. Uh, we actually played in the same prep school league. I, I did. That, I did a, you know, a little well. sub, see? Yeah, a little, a little something. Uh, I think MCI shut down the program. Though. They shut it down. Yeah, the prep school program. Uh, but when you were there, I mean, I don't know if you were like the pioneer, but ever since you were there, it it was one of the best programs in New England. Talk about that that year away of of being able to to get out of of the circumstances that you were kind of surrounded by growing up. So it was crazy because you know you become accustomed to recycled behavior. Um, in, in your environment, in your community. I got expelled, suspended, slash banned from pretty much every school in the state of Wisconsin. And we was trying to figure out how can I go somewhere and just further my education, one. But then two, like be on the, a national stage or possibly be in front of, you know, some of the big elite coaches where I can, you know, afford myself uh, a four-year uh, scholarship at a university. And Max Good name kept coming up. They was like, he's a fucking drill sergeant. He's like, if you can make it through there, any Division One team would take you. And I was just like, fuck it, let's do it. Like this, they were like, cost thirty thousand dollars to go there. Though I was like, oh, I was like, man, bro, I'm in the I'm in the hood. I'm in the trenches. I ain't got no money. And um, the community rallied together. Like cooking taco dinners, man, that's crazy. Barbecue plates. I mean. The whole hood, man, just came together. Uh, long story short, got the money, uh, was able to uh, go to MCI, and it was just like the best thing ever because uh, I hooked up with this host family by the name of the Bakers, and they just showed me a different life. You know what I mean? They accepted me with open arms, showed me some different shit, had different conversations about education, about financial literacy, just, and not to say that my family never did, but you know, our family was just in survival mode. You know, we were just trying to make it till tomorrow. And I was with a family that was talking about college and, you know, 30, 40 years from now, this is what we want to have. And, you know what I mean? They was kind of like building their own little institution, you know, within their family circle. So it was just, it was pretty dope to have that perspective. It's amazing. It's just people are a product of their environment. 
They are. And so it is, it's amazing that you have a kid like you who's growing up in an environment, product of that environment, they get placed somewhere else and then look what you've become. I mean, it's just, it's remarkable, but it's, it's sad at the same time. I mean, there's a two, there's two sides to the coin, right? Mm -hmm. Where you got all this access to all these opportunities through basketball. You were so naturally gifted at basketball and obviously you worked for it as well. But for all those kids that don't have that chance because of basketball, I think it's just, it, it, it's tragic and it brings up, I just think it brings up this, you know, point of finding ways to tap into the community. And that's something that you've now made such a priority for yourself. And it takes people to get out and then do it like you have. And you've set that, you know, you've set that precedent. You've laid that, that groundwork. And I just think it's so, it's so admirable. You know, I always say like seeing is believing. I think that that phrase go, you know, underserved and unnoticed and it's not talked about enough, but when you see something or you see people from the same walk of life that you come from and they accomplish certain things, it's just like, thank God for social media in this capacity, in this way, that it's like, damn, like I see him doing that or I see her doing that and I know where they came from. I know their story. Testimony might be not identical to mine, but it has some components. And you feel like you can do anything. You really do. Like, and that's why I try to put myself out there, whether I'm tired or vulnerable or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's like, fuck it. Just say what it is so people know, like, it's okay to be that way. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay to have flaws and, you know, still figure the shit out. And I think that that's what gives people hope. You mentioned the community you grew up in rallying around you and allowing you opportunity to go to MCI. And then of course, alluding to, to kind of what Davis was talking about, once you reach the, the point in your career when you can then return the favor, what is, what is that meant? I know you've done a bunch with you know affordable housing back in your communities yep. and, and built up businesses. What is that meant to you to then in, in some ways, you know, pay your respects back to a community that, that allowed you to go on to, you know, reach the heights that you've reached? It's, it's, it's heartwarming. It really is. Like when you think about some of the voids in the community that you experience, whether you're going to the community center every day and not having, you know, access to, you know, drinks and, you know, food or, you know, the proper balls to play basketball without the bumps and the lumps being in them and shit like that. And it's just like, wow, I could provide a different service. I could put up a computer lab here. I could plant, you know, buy land and put a garden where I'm teaching, you know, those traits. Uh, you can make sure that you help fund churches. You know, you can do giveaways where you give people a head start in their curriculum, you know, um, from an education standpoint. You create businesses where um, you employing people and, you know, teaching them traits where they can, you know, survive and provide for themselves forever. So those things are have always been important to me and now doing it in real time, it's just like, you know, damn, like things really come full circle. But uh, no, I always had that vision. When you asked me about the vision that I had, I was in survival mode and I always was, but I always said if I get put on, and the only reason I wanted more so I can do more, like that's all I wanted to do, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's never been about me. It's just always been about correcting a generational wrong and a generational curse that I see that, you know, plague like a lot of communities. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it helped you, or I, once again, I don't want to put this on you, but it helped you transition, I imagine, into your post-basketball career in that, you know, one of the things I remember most of last year, uh, you know, amidst the pandemic and everything that was going on is I remember seeing your face on all the NBA TV stuff. Uh, every time there was a, a social justice initiative, it was you pushing your, your platform and you pushing an agenda and you talking about the issues that have plagued, you know, communities in particular uh, for generations. And now you putting your voice you know, having the platform because of the career that you had, but also the person that you are. And mm -hmm. and I've seen you carry that on to our conversations that we've had in locker rooms as well. And it's just special to see somebody be a coach that, you know, you might think that it's X's and O's and this or that, but your mentorship goes far beyond, you know, teaching somebody how to go get a bucket. Yeah, I appreciate that, bro. Um, I it's, it's, it's crazy because I've learned in real time as well. 
Um, I know my personal experience and, you know, I always ask myself why the system or things are the way that they are. And then also like with people that's close to me, that's, that don't look like me, but they love me for who I am and they don't see color. I ask them what's their perspective on, you know, things and we have real conversations. So I've been serving on the Vera Institute of Justice. It's the largest reform board in Northern America for quite some time, for over five years. But during the process, I was preparing myself to be an active member on that board. And I educated myself. And the one thing that I realized is that um, we're the new ancestors, right? So we got to move accordingly. We got to, you know, think like we never thought before. We got to be hopeful. We got to, you know, share that dream that, you know, Mega Evers and Dr. Marzi King and all them, you know, embodied. And all the sacrifices that they did sacrifice with limited resources. And now we have all these fucking resources at our fingertips. So what are we doing <laughs> as a people, like, and as collectives? And the one thing I would say, you know, through tragedy, uh, a, a tragedy with, you know, George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and countless others, um, I saw something I never thought I would see in my life. Over, you know, all our states here, but over 30 countries worldwide, people from all walks of life, young people, young people come together and this rally around a universal wrong. And they said like, this isn't okay. And I saw the world change in that moment. And I saw like private institutions. I saw institutions that would never get in a situation that, that revolved around race. Um, I, saw, I saw them stand on the right side of justice. You know, um, you guys playing in the finals and seeing Black Lives Matter and group economics and all the things and addressing all the isms in the world, I was like, damn, things is changing a little bit, you know, and it, and it has me really hopeful. And what I would say is you having this conversation, not me, but you and being educated is the dream. It, it really is. It's the dream that, you know, we all hope for. And I know that, you know, at some point, as my daughter right there, she's 17, you know, I just, I think that in the very near future, you're going to see the change that we all dream and want. I, I love that you acknowledge that because amidst that whole process, particularly with the, the bubble and uh, obviously my, myself playing a, a minimal role in the whole thing, but as a collective, you know, us as players trying to push this conversation forward, there was so much noise from the masses around, all right, what is this doing? This is doing nothing. But we all felt, and, and I don't want to speak on anybody's you know own beliefs, but I think we all felt collectively like we were actually pushing something forward. Yeah. And it's it's validating uh, to hear you say that because you know sometimes when I when I think about just how massive the broken system is it can feel hopeless. And this is coming from somebody who grew up in an incredibly privileged position. But at the same time, like all you can do is just continue to to be on the right side and mm. continue to push it forward and acknowledge wrongdoings when they happen and just try to have this conversation and push it to the forefront of everybody's, you know, day to day. Yeah. Y'all done it, man. Like the new wave of athletes, uh, they think differently. Obviously, you guys are making a different type of riches and generational wealth where you're afforded to have an independent opinion uh, sooner than others, right? And I, I think that's huge. That, that, let's not get that uh, misconstrued or, you know, uh, taken the wrong way, but I just think that when you have financial stability, you're able to think freely. Yeah, You're real. It matters. You, you're a free person thinking. You're not, you know, slave to nothing. So you can say exactly how you feel when you feel it. And to see young people – you know, expressing itself, um, it's, it's just dope, man. It really is. It's dope. Yeah, you, you've alluded to, um, you know, gaining financial literacy and some of the mentorship that you've done now. Obviously, I've now hopefully or am starting to transition away from, like, just scratching and clawing to establish myself in this crazy profession to now, obviously, basketball stays the main thing always, but now I'm starting to look at, okay, I have new opportunities, new doors. As somebody who, who went through that that similar transition, is there any like advice that, that you can give me as I move forward kind of in these next years, really? 
Man, you know, I I said this on a on a show I was on. Um, Kobe made me uh, think of this a long time ago. He was like, "The roar of the crowd is not for you; it's for what you can do." And as soon as you can't do it, they'll be cheering for someone else. So it's like your basketball relationship will come to an end, you know? And that might be your first love or your second love. And you're going to have to learn how to love again. And the way you find that second love or your third love is, you know, you know, finding what your next act is going to be and what you're passionate about. Um, I fell in love with the process of being a serial entrepreneur. I really did, along with obviously being a father, great father and great husband and all those things. But I wanted to, you know, build other things. I wanted to employ other people. And I, I realized that the game of basketball would be a vehicle to do that, you know. So I started taking those resources, you know, financially and just relationship-wise and start building my own thing. And, you know, over time, you know, things just happened and momentum took over a life of its own. So uh, what I would say to you is just, you know, make sure that you're in the right rooms. Learn how to read a room, uh, create relationships. Um, it's a lot of companies and things that's, you know, you look at IPOs and things like that. You know, create you a capital fund, start investing in late stage companies where you can't lose. Um, you might not get, you know, 16 times your money, but you're getting five and 10, but you're learning the process of it. Right. And you're learning how money work. Um, and then you go from there. But the one thing I will tell you to do is just make sure you save it first. Yeah. <laughs> make sure you save the money. That, now that you got to guarantee. Gonna be checked. You don't need to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but you're doing that. I, I, I see the way you move and you ask questions and you ask the right questions. You know, all of you guys do. And, you know, don't ever feel like no question is a dumb question, but having a proper mentorship around you is very important too. Um, be around people that actually been through the process. You know, you follow a coach leadership or direction because you know he know what the fuck he's talking about. So that's that applies in financial uh, literacy and things like that and investing. It's like I'm going to follow this guy because this guy's done it at a high level. He's making money and – it's not trying to take anything off my table. He's just trying to enhance what I got. You've uh, you've spent time on this podcast giving him his flowers for you know the younger generation pushing things forward. Your daughter, who I'm sure is going to be leading the next generation. <laughs> but I mean, you've clearly laid the foundation. Just listening to you give him advice, it's like yeah. I feel like there needs to be more Crom Butlers in <laughs> locker rooms. True story. Thank 100%. you. Appreciate that, man. It, I think it's what it's all about. Like this, how selfish would I be just taking? information that I've learned, like when you talk about this basketball alone, I mean, fuck life. We're not talking about the whole life advice, but just talking about basketball alone. We talk about the wealth of knowledge, you know, playing with greats like Kobe, Dirk, you know, KD, you know, Chris Paul, Giannis now, the list goes on. Um, you know, being coached by legendary Pat Riley, Spo when he was in the fucking video room, and now he's a fucking Hall of Fame coach. Like all these guys, uh, Rick Carlisle, so many more, and not sharing that insight. I would be like the most selfish fucking dude ever, you know, not giving that wealth of knowledge. Like that's just, that's just greedy. And I like eating, but that's just greedy. <laughs> uh, that, that goodness for my sake that you're not selfish because yeah, I certainly learned a lot. Early on when you're just starting to kind of familiarize yourself with you know, you're, you're talking about capital funds and, and, and late stage IPOs, all sorts of stuff. Like early on, is there like a fake it till you make it sort of thing? Like when you're first walking into a, a business meeting or a business negotiation and like you're the same way with me, like I always feel and I haven't dabbled in the, the type of, you know, big money deals that you have. You know, it's all relative. But like I always feel like I'm always the basketball player. Right. So like, how do you how do you break that down yeah. and, and get respected as like a business mind and somebody who wants to be a, an entrepreneur? Well, the same way you do your scouting report on, you know, players that, for instance, today we was talking about uh, the kid Baines. We was talking about his tendencies and what he do. And everybody had a comment. Right. Because yeah. they did their research. Everybody was like, I know this guy. If you're going to a meeting and you're talking about franchising in particular, or you're talking about a certain plot of property. 
uh, parcel of land that you're trying to buy and trying to invest in and the possibilities. You need to know the neighborhood. You need to know the community. You need to know what type what what type of traffic coming in out of there and what's the expectations you know for the next five to ten years is it an opportunity zone like you do your research and when you do your due diligence in that capacity uh you go from there and i think that you separate yourself from you know the, the dumb athlete you know everybody be like yeah he's just fucking athlete you know he's trying to make some money you like come in as a from an educated opinion and now you're visually looked at just differently and it's like, oh shit! Like I'm looking at Duncan, the businessman, right now. Suited, yeah. suited. I, I gotta give me some suits too, some custom suits. You know, I'm gonna look the part as That's well. That's next. Uh, I'm gonna transition a little bit. You referenced earlier Kobe uh, in, in your book, Tough Juice, which is a great read, by the way. He he writes the opening to your book and talks about coming to Wisconsin when you guys are playing the Bucks and coming to see your family. Uh, talk a little bit about your relationship with him, how he pushed you competitively on the court, uh, and then also just from a, a relationship standpoint as well. So all the things that before you had like these vets in the locker room that was just like superstars, uh, you didn't get the best of both worlds. Either you had the coach with the wealth of knowledge and then you might had one guy but you never had like the super superstar unless you was, you know, one of the four organizations that was just it at the time. And it was New York, obviously Chicago, LA always had one. And, you know, you throw any random other one out there. So um, I, I'm listening to Pat Riley all the time talking about disposition, your mentality and your worth ethic and all this stuff. And I'm like, damn, okay, I got it. I got it. But I was like, that shit is impossible to do like this. Can't go that hard all the time. So I get traded. Shaq comes to Miami. I go to Los Angeles. I'm with Kobe, first day, press conference. He signs like $136 million. Never seen no shit like that before. So I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And the second he signed it, he's like, uh, you ready to fucking blackout? And I was like, what? What is, what, what is a blackout? He's like, we about to fucking blackout. Be here at 7 a.m. tomorrow. And I was like, damn, blackout, 7 a.m. tomorrow? And... The next day, we started working out, and I realized what a blackout workout was. It was like you're getting your reps in, you're getting 50 shots from each spot, 100 makes off the move, you're getting all this shit, then you get so tired, you see spots, you blacking out. <laughs> and that was a blackout. And then guess what? You know, I got to tell you the rest. So after that first workout, and you do ones at the end, you go get you something to eat, you take about three, four hours to yourself, and you come back. And you black out again. Oh, my God. And we did this literally from free agency was always, what, the second, first week of July. We did that shit all the way to training camp. And I was just like, dude, it's different. But all this shit, like the sacrifices and when your motivation runs low, your discipline take over, all that shit that he was teaching us and instilling in us in the fabric of who we were as competitors, I saw it in real time in the best player on the planet. I was like, this dude is different. And, you know, every city we went in, two in the morning, three in the morning, he had high schools rented out to go shoot, like fresh from the airport, take him to a place where he can get his shots up to four in the morning. Then he comes in the hotel, and he never missed a film session. And it was just, I saw it at a different level. And I was just like, bro, he's different. But those things you apply to your life and you create your thing. What's what's wild is that you talk about signing for 100 M's and you hear blackout. <laughs> a lot of people think of like, I'm, I'm going to party. Yeah. Blackout. People usually quit their job. You know what I mean? He's like, I'm, yeah. I'm going to blackout tonight. You know what I mean? But he's talking about blacking out the next morning yes. uh, in a workout. It's funny because I feel like Kobe's legacy and, and obviously, you know, God rest his soul, uh, has taken off to, to new heights, but everybody that I actually talked to that's been around him, I never had the, the pleasure to, to meet him or spend time around him, actually says that it's actually more than what's what's talked about. It's even crazier than what yeah. you, like the folklore that's been passed on, like it's actually crazier than what you think it is. Yeah, it really is from, like this basketball shit is one thing, but just, I tell you as a, as a friend, as a brother of his, and he was a mentor of mine, Till this day, I missed the phone calls and just the settled, calculated messaging that he would just call me with. Five-minute conversations 
that felt like we was on the phone for hours where he just had like pivotal points he wanted to make and uh, specific call to actions that he wanted me to focus on. And I was like, damn, how did he take that much time out his day to make sure that he tell me this? It's like he really just mapped out the next 20, 30, 40 years of my life in that six minute conversation. And I miss that most, but I'm so glad that I got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you try to apply that to the fabric of who you are and you try to give that energy the same way he applied and gave it to me. Uh, I need another, just anything you got, legendary Kobe story. Man. One that a, comes to mind. We was in Charlotte. I never told the story. We was in Charlotte and we was in the huddle and he was like, uh, the game was tied. It was only like four seconds, three seconds on the shot clock. And, um, you know, Rudy T is like, drawing up all type of shit on the board <laughs> and he swiped it off again and he Kobe said fuck that just give me the ball right here <laughs> and uh he was like whoever want to take the ball out gonna be part of history <laughs> and uh Lamar was like I want to be part I'll of go history. grab the ball <laughs> alright give me the ball he threw that shit in man Kobe hit the shot blouses game it was just like I was like, I looked at him. He was just like, like winked his eye in the moment. Like, yo, just whoever want to be a part of history, just throw the ball. This shit's <laughs> over. But that was that was him. Like right. that was just who he was. And OG was different, man. He was different. Is there another player that you look back on that you had like a like one on one battles with it? Whenever you matched up with, you know, maybe personal for some other reason, or or you just always felt like you guys were were going back and forth. Another player in the league. Man, I used to love playing against Paul Pierce because uh, that's someone, like, he's not that much older than me, but we, like, I modeled my game after him. You know, when he got drafted, I think he went 10 as well in the lottery. And, you know, Coach Calhoun was like, hey, this is a guy that you got to watch. Like, look at his skill set. He takes his time, play at his own pace, all that shit. I was like, damn, okay. I'm going to look at him. I was like, shit, he only three years older than me. Like, I – I can't be looking at all this shit like that, but it was just like, at the same time, our games was really similar. You know, um, we was athletic enough, um, but we was just skilled and we operated in the same spaces. And that that was somebody who I just loved playing against. Like we used to talk so much shit against each other, like just going at each other's throats, but it was always like a mutual respect, uh, you know, from, from a basketball standpoint. And obviously, you know, when I seen them away from the court. Yeah, it's, it's the pace. I mean, I, I grew up watching Pierce a lot growing up in the Boston area, but then also watching you. You guys both had this ability to just always be under control and know exactly where your spots were on the floor. And unfortunately for me, <laughs> I got to live that in practice when you're on the scout Every team. Every once in a while. <laughs> oh, still. And, oh, yeah. And we're playing once and, like, we're working on closeouts or something. You don't want to guard. Oh, wait a minute. I got to hear more about it's like this. A, it's always like a rip through into kind of like a dribble post up into like a little shimmy fade. And he's throwing shot fakes in there. And it's just... It's a nightmare because he 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 just knows like he thinks the game at yeah, just a different right. level. It's like moving at a different speed for you. You just get into your spots. You know when you've done it enough, and the same applies to you. Like when you're, you know, people think that they're jamming you or they, you know, they weaken you or they pushing you baseline, they top locking you. You're gonna get to your shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you're gonna find a way to get to your shit because you're just a professional scorer or a professional at what you are a professional at. And I think that. A lot of people just get misguided or misled when they think that they can really stop you from getting to what you made a living doing. I probably can't get it to it at the same pace anymore, but, but you can still get to it. it. I could get to it. Oh yes, forty and up club. I tell they ass. Come on now, <laughs> are you still playing? Uh, here and there, I mess with it here and there. Yeah. The the best part outside, I mean, outside of watching him just you know put people in a blender and one on ones, including is, you, including one hundred percent, is the the shoe game. Every day, it's a new pair of shoes. That's my daughter, man. And it's it's crazy. Shout out to, to Mia for that. Man. It's crazy variety. And it's like, he's he's pulling out stuff where it's like, I don't think you're supposed to hoop in those. And he's just out there not caring, like, just still getting to it in, in ones, in, like, any, like anything. Retros all day. Matter. Throwback LeBrons. Like, it is a crazy, every sort of Kobe crazy crazy bro variety. you gotta realize like we grew up in the chuck era so like we wore chucks on the concrete 
You know what I mean? That That's actually crazy. Yeah, man. like British Knights, LA Gears, Patrick Ewins, Chucks, like all those shoes, like dope shoes. So you colorful. can hoop in anything, basically. You can if you can hoop anything. in Chucks, you can hoop in anything. Anything. You're almost barefoot. Right. It's wild. I, Kobe's are the best basketball shoe ever created, in in my opinion. I'll play on asphalt and Kobe's and can't walk <laughs> the next day. I think it just goes to show how soft we are. Yeah. If you're, if you're playing on tar and Chucks, I don't even understand how your body can can t- but you just get used to it I imagine. Yeah. yeah, at some point you just get you get used to it. And I'm gonna tell you low key, like we got a staff full of hoopers. Like yes. don't sleep on uh Spo. Spo Ooh, can play a little a bit. Little, every now I'm, and then he'll I'm pull out a little handle something. you Spo got some shit to him, yeah. man. Uh, hey, he got us right him, uh Keith Askins, uh Stan Van Gundy. Those was like our skill development guys when I was with the Heat and they was like one of the best staff groups I ever like this been with now this the scout team the miami Heat scout <laughs> team is legendary how are they doing in the nescac <laughs> oh man that, that's a division three conference that we both played in uh i mean it, it's just they're, they're thinking the game at a different right. level this is what yeah. i'm talking about like even in scout team stuff like you'd think you know whatever like even someone like like ac ac can AC go get, ac get loose he can go he straps up still <laughs> Like it's it, it's incredible. Don't I'm sleep. Like, I'm like, dude, you are too old to be sitting in a stance like this for a two hour practice, and he's in it the entire time. It's AC incredible. Academy. It's incredible. Is it common for the staff to be this involved in an NBA practice? Nah, it's not that common. But we, you know, we actually like like when we go over game plans and things like that. You know, coach would let us know like, hey, how you feeling? You want to? Like, yeah, yeah, I want. Yeah, I, I I work with him. Like, you know, it's just it's one of those things as a competitor and like. Sometimes I think the messaging hits a little different when you're like, man, fuck, all you got to do is just go right and do this. And then you see someone at 41, whatever, going yeah, in the man. best shape. You know, you're like, oh, shit, okay, let, I can do that. <laughs> like, it's, it should be easy for me. You know, I'm only 22, 23, whatever. Yeah. What are you, 27 now? Yeah, I'm 20. I'm old, man. Yeah, I was going to say. But that's yeah. a big one for me when we're talking about, like, you know, being in a gap or being at the nail and still getting to a closeout. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's hard. And then I see AC doing it. I'm like, like, all right. I'm like, all right, I can't say anything. Like, <laughs> no I, I got to find a way to do it. I got to find a way to do it. Um, all right, man. Well, we know you got plenty to do out here in, uh, in Vegas. Plus, you got your daughter yeah, here. Yeah, Mia's about to go spend my money just for the record. <laughs> hey. So put that out there. Me, I believe she in you. She laughed, but it's true. Shit is true. Uh, we appreciate you chopping it up with us, taking some time. Uh, I mean, super insightful conversation. And. You know, you're you're a legend in the flesh, so appreciate you uh, joining appreciate us. Appreciate you, brother. Hey, congrats, too, on that new oh, money. I appreciate that. I'm Can't trying to be like, I'm trying to be like you. <laughs>